Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton and Gregory S. White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are we doing today? Just uh, catching out here in my private podcast (laughs) studio on new couch. No, just, yeah. No? (laughs) Like this look, right? I mean, this this makes us look like those guys that just sit around and yeah, but what is supply chain anyway? Right. I want to be one of those guys. <laughs> All right. So today, folks, it is, as always, the ever reliable, the supply chain buzz live show that comes at you every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time where Greg and I and a lot of times friends, guests, even family members, as I can tell, we're going to be discussing a variety of news and developments really across global business. We want to hear from you. So give us your take in the comments throughout the show. And Greg, if folks are listening to the podcast replay, they should come check us out live on the social media platform of their choosing sometime soon, huh? Yes. I don't know why live, but yes. <laughs> do it on YouTube. The nice thing is you can do, you can see the live version. You can count on it to run. I know we have a lot of friends on LinkedIn watching us through LinkedIn, but YouTube runs and it just works. And then you can always watch the, you know, the recorded version as well. Right. We are really digging into some statistics that are very confusing about how people are consuming podcasts these days, but more and more seem to consume them on YouTube. Okay. So we need to have Catherine on the show one time to talk through those statistics because every time she tells me about them, I'm not less confused. So, folks, we got a lot to get to here today. So, welcome everybody. Before we get started, I think we got four stories we're working through here today, and we want to offer up some resources. So with that said, we dropped over the weekend, Greg, and we really focused it around, you know, we had talked about last week on social, our ongoing commitment to support our veteran community, right? In a variety of different ways, but especially via our pro bono veteran voices programming, which is in its fifth season. And Greg, as you know, and you may, may have seen some of it, we got a lot of feedback on that Friday morning social post. So we use some of that feedback to offer up and answer questions. Cause one of the questions we got is how can we do more, right? How can we do more to better support the veteran community in business or transition or you name it. So that was the main thrust of our, with that said over the weekend, Greg, and how to do more. Right. That's yeah. right. We've talked about it here before, Greg, speaking of how to support veterans. If you remember when we first met or early, when we first met before we, we were knocking out a lot of these shows together, we were at a big logistics event here in Georgia, right? And we wanted to bring in a bunch of veterans so they could make network connections and, and help their transition and stuff. And we did all that. You were an early supporter. You wrote that check, you and many of our other friends. And we got over 100 veterans out to this logistics summit. And better yet, better than the networking, Greg, if you remember, some of these veterans got job offers on the spot. How right. cool was that, Greg? Right. Well, I think another company that I was associated with at the time in PSG was actually hiring at the show, which was 
really cool. Yeah, that was great to see. You know, that's a difficult transition. When I say, you know, Scott, I mean, <laughs> you, Scott Luton, mm. former Air Force, you know. So it can be a difficult transition because you're trained in such specific things in the military and you're trained in such a specific way that sometimes the free-flowing nature of civilian business is it's not a natural for you, right? right. And the wide-ranging view that you have or have to have of your job rather than the very focused on this thing view that you have to have in the military can be a difficult transition for folks. So we've just spent pretty much every year since that mm. helping veterans to assimilate into the wild, wild life of civilian jobs. That's right. So from that personal experience on both sides of the coin, so to speak, mm. uh, we offered some expertise and some ideas, some practical ideas for how folks can better support the veteran industry from a transition standpoint, from an already established standpoint, you know, cause you got a lot of veteran owned businesses, lots of ideas. So check that out. We drop the link in there and let us know what you think. And Hey, if y'all come across something really cool that companies are doing for the veteran community, Hey, share. We'd love to blatantly steal that idea. <laughs> no, we'd love to take it and celebrate it and amplify yeah. it. We challenge other organizations to do it. Greg, your final word. Do it. Do it. That's right. Do it. Don't talk about it. Find a way to do it. All right. One other resource. Hey, join us tomorrow morning. Special time. 8 a.m. Eastern time. We're partnering with our a great friend of the show, Korai Kose. Well, hey, we better get down to work then, Greg. We got a lot to get through here today. Are you ready to do it? Yeah, we acknowledge a few weird things that happened. I mean, Scott, we have to talk about it. Have to. One of the Chiefs players is dating the most famous person on the planet. Right. It was like I went to a Taylor Swift event and a football game broke out. (laughs) The U.S. got routed in the Ryder Cup by the rest of the world. I mean, routed. Yes. Oh, well, so the U.S. government didn't shut down and the Ryder strike is over. Right? So... It's like, I don't know, so many things were brought to conclusion over this weekend, except for Travis Kelsey's relationship, <laughs> which I fear will happen at the worst time. Mm, but mm. yeah, I was thinking about that this morning, Scott. How many things kind of came to conclusion this weekend? That's a great call out. I watched some of that. We're going to have to say that golf was a tragedy as it unfolded. Talk about finality. We had a finality just about on the first day of yes. the Ryder Cup this year. So they lost by five games. At, by the end of game day one, they were down by five games, six and a half. Yeah. It was ugly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But hey, we're, we are going to celebrate the end of the rider strike. That's a lot of folks that impacted a lot of people, especially, you know, sure, a lot of folks talk about the all the big money that's tied up there, but there's a lot of folks that work day to day, you know, paycheck to paycheck. So hopefully we can get past that. And hey, from a selfish standpoint, perhaps get more good content out there, put everybody to the work and, uh, Enjoy the stories to come. All right. So, Greg, speaking of strikes, while the Hollywood strike apparently is over with, one other big strike continues. So, diving into the first story here today, we're going to be talking about the ongoing labor strikes in the automotive sector. Now, as reported by our friends over at CNN Business, Greg, heavy-duty and medium-duty truck maker Mack Truck, well, the good news there is they've averted a labor strike, as it seems. Uh, They've reached a tentative labor deal with about 3,900 employees that are part of the United Auto Workers UAW Union. All the details have not been released just yet. But of course, this deal with Mack Truck was made as another 25,000 UAW members are on strike at Ford, Stellantis, and General Motors. The strike at the big three, Greg, was expanded last Friday 
once again because it was been expanded a couple times the last few weeks. As on Friday, two more assembly plants were added. Now, side note here: the UAW's strike fund was at eight hundred twenty-five million dollars in early September prior to the Big Three strikes. It's estimated that it costs that fund about $14 million a week in strike benefits, small checks that go out to all the affected workers, right? So by averting a strike with Mack Truck, it averted a, an additional drain on that big fund. So Greg, I am looking forward to getting your thoughts on as we get past one strike and it looks like we get past another more related strike. We still got a big one going on. Yeah, this is one of those things that I was thinking about this weekend is, you know, American workers are already arguably, maybe inarguably, the highest paid automotive workers on the planet, mm. which is why so much of our parts production and all those sorts of things have gone offshore and why we had to adapt our definition of an American car to include a lesser number of parts made or sourced in the United States or North America, right? Mexico, mm. Canada, or U.S. So I was talking about this earlier, you know, when times are good, everybody wants peace, but when when business is down, nobody wants to give back. And it's going to become quickly an untenable situation, which we're going to talk about one of the potential solutions in, in the next story that we discuss. But the inevitability of robotics, AI, you know, things like that, replacing human beings at a 36%, I think is what the current request is, mm. wage increase. Is that right, Scott? Yeah. All right. I want everybody to just take a quick pause. Think about what you make today. And think about how likely it is that your employer could afford to give everyone who works for your company a 36% wage wow. increase. I mean, it's not realistic. It's not sustainable, long-lasting sustainable, right? I mean, these automakers will be forced to use more and more robotics. And then, you know, what will these people do for money? Because, I mean, I've lived in Detroit. I know what happens to an auto worker when they're put out of work. Because no one, no one in any industry if there even is any industry in Detroit, but no one in any industry around the world pays as much as the automotive industry does. Mm. So those people get a heavy dose of reality whenever they get out of that industry. Mm. I think it's uh, an interesting challenge. You know, the imprudence of our administration in taking a side here is utterly disdainful. I, I don't mm. know what, what else to say. And I think, you know, irresponsible. So, I'm really, really concerned about these auto workers. On the other hand, you know, as we've talked about for a few years now, the younger generations are staying away from manufacturing jobs and droves, so they're going to be automated anyway. Mm. I think this might be a last gasp effort by the remaining baby boomer auto workers to get a big pile of money before they go into retirement. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. The dynamics of it are are not complex. They're very simple. We have reached a threshold where we're at. The auto companies have to do something besides employees. Mm. It's amazing. I tell you what, we've been talking about AI for years now, Greg, of course. Mm -hmm. But goodness gracious, it is just, it is blown up to a whole new level. And rightly so, because with results, with outcomes, with really practical application as we're seeing out across industry. So Kyle says, great points, but hard to sell when these C-suite and companies are making the highest profits of all time. Greg, any thought there? Yeah, we all know that's because of the flood of capital from the government into the U.S. Mm -hmm. economy, and people are buying things that they wouldn't ordinarily buy at prices they wouldn't ordinarily pay. In fact, we're going to talk about the economic state of America, and that's not sustainable either, right? Mm -hmm. So now is a little too late to ask for compensation around that. And 
you know, I can't, I can't really justify the amount that C-suite executives are paid. Yeah. I feel like if their compensation is tied effectively to the status of the company, and it's often tied to the share price of the company, that's where they make most of their money. Mm-hmm. So if you're a UAW member and you want to really invest in your business, buy stock because that's what the CEOs do or include stock in your compensation because that's what the CEOs do. They get paid for the impact that they have on the business, not for the hours that they put into the work. And they take a risk by doing that. What the UAW wants to do is not take a risk and only benefit when times are good Mm. and not pay when times are bad. Mm. So, you know, that's a common situation. I have little empathy for either side in this country. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about the times when GM lost billions and billions and billions of dollars, which wasn't that long ago. And they didn't ask the workers or force the workers to take a pay cut like their CEO did. Mm. Folks, check out the link. Don't take me or Greg's word for it. Check it out, uh, this latest story from CNN Business or where else you get your news from and let us know what you think on the ongoing year of the workforce is kind of what we heard. I think it was Mike Griswold from Gartner that may have coined that first with us. I think Greg. you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. But we're we're going to steal it because it's so true. So we're just- Because we can. <laughs> that's right. That is right. I want to shift gears over to an industry maybe that we don't talk about enough here. Although, Greg, we do, we've had that ongoing healthcare supply chain leadership series, which has been really popular. So I want to talk about this. When we talk about the year of the workforce as it applies to healthcare. So Kaiser Permanente, one of the biggest healthcare providers in the U.S., well, that's not immune to the ongoing turmoil across the workforce market. Some 75,000, 75,000, Greg, healthcare workers across five states plus Washington, D.C., are set to walk off their jobs this Wednesday if Kaiser Permanente cannot reach a deal with a handful of representative labor unions. The strike is planned to last just three days, and it would be the biggest single strike in U.S. healthcare history. So while the automotive industry strikes perhaps get more headlines, the labor issues in the healthcare industry certainly have been widespread. In fact, I didn't know this, Greg, since the beginning of 2022, a third of all labor strikes involving more than a thousand workers have been in the healthcare industry. Kaiser Permanente, in acknowledging the issues, stated that more than 5 million healthcare workers left the industry in 2021 and 2022. And the company also says that up to two thirds of current healthcare staff well, they say they are burnt out. Now, of course, these healthcare industry issues will certainly further complicate the ongoing workforce challenges we have across the global supply chain industry. Greg, especially in these five states plus DC. Greg, your thoughts here on what is set to transpire with Kaiser Permanente? You know what their primary complaint is? Which one? There aren't enough workers. Mm. So don't you love the irony of 75,000 people going on strike because there aren't enough workers? And why aren't there enough workers? Because in 2021 and 2022, more than 5 million healthcare workers feared for their safety largely, Mm. I mean, and left the workforce never to return. So not unlike the great resignation of that time period overall, so many people left the workforce that now we're left with fewer and less experience and inarguably, in my experience, which I'll talk about in a second, inarguably less capable people in the industry. Mm. My dad spent 24 of 31 days in the hospital recently, and the level of care that he was getting was frightening. I mean, it was absolutely frightening, the ineptitude that Mm. he was 
he's a diabetic heart patient patient was supposed to have a very specific diet and they talk about the people you know in the in the kitchen who have to make sure that this happened seven out of ten meals were incorrectly prepared mm-hmm. for a diabetic wow patient. so it's a real problem i'm not sure that striking is the answer but if that's what it takes to get these companies to do it. But the fact is there aren't more healthcare workers to take these jobs. We have to wait for people to get out of school. Mm. Nursing classes are so small that at an individual in- university, a class may only have five to eight openings for nurses, right? And the schooling is so long for doctors, obviously, seven to 10 years that, you know, it's not like you can manufacture these people overnight. And we did virtually overnight eliminate or they elim- they opted out. Five million people. So it ain't coming back soon, no matter what you do in terms of a strike. I'm at a loss. I empathize, definitely empathize with especially the competent nurses and doctors that are out there who stuck it out through COVID, you know, and and fought burnout and probably continue to fight it every day. I I don't know how to handle it, but it's a very, very difficult situation, right? So right. Um, and just adding a few other notes and observations, I would argue, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but with the population dynamics, I would argue that demand, of course, is not going to go down anytime soon based on generational dynamics. And then the other thing that you know, the pandemic and general business environment has caused a lot of these rural systems to go under. Rural systems and in some cases, like here in Atlanta, we've seen metro providers go under. The largest trauma center in Georgia, correct, Scott? Went under. I think you're right. Finally, they let it go under. I mean, they've been keeping it afloat for decades now, but Grady Hospital, just gone, just like Mm. that. I know we don't typically talk about, you know, healthcare central topics, but we see this, at least I see this, as so connected to what I'll call the general welfare of the workforce in supply chain. I think it's something certainly we should be keeping on our radar. So, some of y'all may have been with us last week as we enjoyed a couple of folks from BCG, Boston Consulting Group, on last week's buzz. And Constantine sat in for Greg, who was on assignment. I think we called it Greg. We talked about some of the new e-commerce, not new, but a couple that were on the grow, right? That were competing with Amazon in different ways, including like longer delivery times, like catering to the crowd that don't care to get something the next day or something. They want to pay cheap and they can wait. Mm-hmm. Well, Greg, I completely missed that my daughter was a current customer for one of these sites. I want to say maybe, is it Shine? There is a company called Shine. Yeah. I might be getting my wires crossed, but it was right here. Yeah, Shine, S-H-E-I-N. And I missed the opportunity, Greg, to interview my oldest daughter and get her experience with this Amazon competitor. So you never know what's right up under our nose, huh? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's always there. I may have done a little bit of shopping on various sites yeah. this weekend i've gotten quite lazy i can't lie <laughs> i went to a costco this weekend and it was i mean the amount of anxiety that i felt at that costco was unbelievable it was packed chock full of people wow. at 9 30 in the morning which is when they opened the doors nice. it was like the rush into a taylor swift concert <laughs> i just have to mention taylor swift every once in a while because scott is so tired of hearing about her especially oh. on football sunday all right greg you open that can of worms let me just say my family is a big fan of taylor swift as an artist and i am too however as we were talking pre-show can't we just watch a football game and focus on the plays and not the uh relationships you are not wrong sorry. yeah you are not wrong i don't care who the relationships with along <laughs> i don't like hearing about Brittany 
Mahomes when we're watching the Chiefs either, right? <laughs> well, I show up for a football game and it's like a an edition of Entertainment Tonight breaks out. Yeah. That's not that's not what I'm after. But hey, different strokes, different folks. Let's get back to Greg. Now going back to the AI, which we talked about earlier. Big show Bob Bova says, gentlemen, it's about value to the enterprise, to the stakeholders, who is willing to do what it takes to be the positive change agent. AI is sexy right now because it is a change agent. It cannot replace, though, the creativity of a valuable employee at any level with constructive strategic value and insight. Gregory. I think the Hollywood writers, with the specific clause that excludes AI from writing for shows, would argue that point because mm -hmm. they are about to be put out. They could easily be put out of work by AI. And that nothing is more creative than writing, well, except for CBS shows. Nothing's more creative than writing a television show or a movie, right? I think if you think of back to Hollywood, right? There's mm. lots of examples in supply chain, but look at Hollywood. You look at word got out. This has been about a month or two ago that, uh, that the Hollywood studios were looking to use AI, gen AI to create the extras in the scenes. Now, in my view, I'm not never set foot in that industry. I'm respective of all parties, but in my view, that's eliminating some of the just transactional stuff. And it seems for me, it seems like a natural application for gen ai in that industry much like in supply chain we're talking about eliminating manual work you know that for me those are very closely related but greg your thoughts looks like the great john henry versus the locomotive debate right mm. i mean people get really really afraid when they realize that their low value whatever job is at stake and yeah. if they don't have the confidence to do something that's more high value they're going to fight hard for that low value job. UAW is a great example of that. I wouldn't say low value, but easily replaced now with automation and AI and likewise the Hollywood writers. So it doesn't make it true just because we say it. we know that AI can do creative, insightful and strategic things, right? But there are still things that humans can do, right? That AI can't, but right. we shouldn't kid ourselves, be blind to the fact that AI will do, will. And in relatively short order, we'll do things that that humans would do otherwise. We've already had AI in our business replace an entire human being, right? right? So good point. what we have to recognize is where we add value to Bob's first point, right? It is about adding value. If we don't add value by doing repetitive things with a wrench, machines should be doing it. And we should yes. stop desperately clinging to these jobs that are of so little value for such a high cost. So perfect opportunity. I wasn't sure. I'm glad you mentioned exactly that because in my mind, so folks, if you're any baseball fans out there, especially maybe in a Gen Xer like uh, me and Greg, you may remember the pitcher, Tim Wakefield. Yeah. Right? Tim Wakefield, unfortunately, passed away yesterday at the age of 57. Now, but this is where it's relevant. Beyond, he's one heck of a player yeah. that also served this community tirelessly, endlessly, a great teammate, won 200 games in his career. But here's where it's relevant, because what Greg just touched on there, humans have to be, especially in this era, they've got to be open to embracing new skill sets, especially when it comes to survival. And here's where the Tim Wakefield story comes to play, because he was a home run hitting first baseman, right? That's what he got drafted to do, play first base, hit home runs. But a scout told him when he was in double A and farm system that, hey, I hate to tell you, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I hate to tell you, but your bat and your glove ain't good enough to go any further. 
Mm -hmm. Tim Wakefield took that critique to heart and said, you know what? I'm going to learn a new skill. I'm going to learn how to pitch. And better yet, I'm going to learn how to pitch the knuckleball. So he put away his bat, put away his glove, leaned in wholeheartedly into learning how to pitch. And less than two seasons later, he was starting in a National League Championship Series against Tom Glavin and the Braves. Beat Tom Glavin twice with complete games. And he went on after a couple of setbacks, like we all have. He went on to win 200 games and have his jersey retired for the Boston Red Sox, where he played the majority of his career. Now, you know, these kinds of stories resonate with me because I watched him beat my team. I was really worried he was making an appearance in the game seven of 92 NLCS. But the relevant thing here for all of you listeners out there is we owe it to ourselves and our loved ones to embrace our inner Tim Wakefields and not be afraid to lean into something new. That's where we're going to find all sorts of opportunities to do big things in this digital economy, disrupted economy that we're living in. Greg, your thoughts, and then we're going to move forward. Well, I know you're in the Air Force, but the Marine motto, improvise, adapt, overcome, right? I mean, that's what we do. That's what humans do. I mean, we shouldn't be alive. We don't have hair on our bodies, or at least not enough to keep us through cold weather, right? So we create clothes and we build structures, Mm -hmm. right? So if we had just stuck to our original job, we would have been extinct eons ago, or is it eras ago? (laughs) Epochs. A long, long time ago, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I really empathize with people who want to believe some of these things. They're just simply not true. And I just would implore you not to dangerously delude yourselves to believe that AI can't do so many, many things. I mean, well said. I, I think it's important for us to embrace it. I think it's also important, by the way, for us to identify boundaries for it, right? But it can do many, many things that humans don't want to do, shouldn't do. Just let's just pick automation, forget about AI, just automation, right? Or technology generally, whatever you want to call it, can do so many things that humans shouldn't do, dangerous, right? right? that are dirty, dark, and dull, right? But now it can also do those, I can't think of a D word for intelligent things <laughs> we can do, but aren't the best suited for because we're not mm. consistent enough. We have emotion get in our way, all those sorts of things. All of those things that apply to straight logic technologies also apply to AI technologies, and they're just going to do it better than straight linear logic technologies mm. do. So if Greg implores you to do something, hey, do it. Lean in to the new opportunities out there. And don't rest on your laurels that you believe what you do cannot be replaced. That's not a good way to approach life. Bob Bova says, I'm very interested to see what some long-term studies show about the efficacy of AI. Still really in its infancy. When does it become a rote technology without the ability to be humanly creative. Wow. AI has been around since 1952. It isn't in anything, but it's infancy, Mm. right? We have finally created the processing power to be able to use it to its full extent. Mm. And with generative AI, right? And with LoRa, these low risk alternative learning techniques, it learns virtually like a human. It's moved well beyond rote items. You can't write a research paper using rote. Right. right. Just rules, rules and right rules and and standards. You can't do that. So mm. it's well past that. Right now, though, Greg, I'm going to act like I did not struggle with all things accounting or economic related in college. Goodness gracious. I'm glad you're good with math. Third story today. Let's share some economic news. According to Market Watch, the U.S. economy grew at a 2.1 percent pace in second quarter 2023. 
Consumer spending, though, came in a good bit weaker than expected. And of course, that's one of the key factors, maybe the key factor behind the economy. But on the other hand, business investment, like money spent on plants and equipment, well, that was a little bit stronger than expected. Inventory levels, Greg, also showed an increase. Folks getting ready, uh, peak. Current predictions for third quarter is a 4% increase in the U.S. GDP. Man, that sounds ambitious. However, trouble may lie ahead, as indicated in perspective shared by Chris. I'm going to say Zaccarelli. Yeah, Zaccarelli. Zaccarelli, I bet it is. Chris Zaccarelli, chief investment officer at the Independent Advisor Alliance, said, quote, We believe that a recession is inevitable, but we have been surprised by the resilience of the consumer, end quote. Gregory. Put on that chief economist hat of yours. What's your take? Okay, just to be clear, not an economist, but equally as accurate in predicting recessions <laughs> and economic growth, okay? <laughs> Which is almost 0% accurate. Uh, look, how long have we been talking about recession? How long have I been talking about recession? And it hasn't come yet. And mm. I wonder if people, and I would love to get some visceral responses to this. I wonder if people think that the economy growing at a 2.1% clip right now is, or four, if that's where we think it's going to grow for the whole year. If they think that's a good thing at this point, especially mm. since it's mostly driven by increased prices, Right. And I mean, there's some indicators in here that are encouraging because consumers have been driving inflation since whenever we started getting those three, four trillion dollars worth of checks, mm. right? Spending other people's money. But I think we're about to run out of other people's money. So that's why we're starting to see consumer spending come down. But now business spending is going up. And that over the spending for the same period last year, it's important for us to align that. So we can't say that peak caused this because peak would have caused a similar uplift last year, Yep. right? What really has caused it is the continually increasing prices, five, four and a half, five percent inflation, right? The rule of 72 says divide, let's divide five into 72. And that's how often prices will double, mm. right? So I can't do the math. Someone do the math for me. Because um, <laughs> I like challenged by accounting, but I understand economics as a, whatever you want to call it, psychological, not definitely not a science, uh, psychological or even economic discipline. Even mm. calling it a discipline is giving it a lot of credit, isn't it? Mm. But yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be challenged and it's going to be hard to have a soft landing, but we also know that these things are politically motivated and they're trying to protect the current administration as they always do, right? Especially with an election coming up. Although you never know. I mean, there's some rumblings in the Democratic Party that we may just sacrifice our current president and try mm. and find another candidate to run. And it looks like the Republicans will be epically weak mm. in the upcoming election. So maybe they don't have to do that. Some of these things, when they work together, can be really, really beneficial to us just common people. Mm. Right. If it looks like the Republicans can't win, we don't have to protect the current or we're going to sacrifice the current president and find a new one because we think he can't win. Then we don't have to do all these conflagrations. We can just focus on the economy independent of its political ramifications. More importantly, on the ramifications on us, you, you folks out there <laughs> and me. So it's a very difficult time right now because there's so many conflicting influences and it has become so clear and apparent that 
this is as political as it is economic. So that makes it even harder to predict. But yes, four, four and a half, five percent, whatever you want to call it, inflation is not sustainable. Mm. Right? We have to get down back down to that two percent range. I'm with you. And to your point you made a second ago, this is an example. We've all had the meetings in supply chain and manufacturing organizations where everybody brings their own spreadsheet and the data, you know, everybody's got their own data. This is an example. And we're going to point this out in a second because you see different agencies show different trends and different data. And we're going to point that out in just a second. Uh, Kyle says prolonging the inevitable and the lasting impact of inflation is going to last longer. That's true. That's true. I mean, if we don't hit recession, then these prices growing at 5% a year will stick. Right. Mm. I mean, I use one indicator. I remember many of you might not. I remember the last, the great recession when I could get a Zaxby's, probably not everybody knows what Zaxby's sells chicken tenders. That's all they sell. <laughs> okay. Fries and other sides, but it's, it's a whole business built around chicken tenders, which has absolutely blown the doors off by the way. Mm. But you used to be able to buy a big Zax snack for three ninety nine. Now it's $8. Wow. $8 or $8.49, depending on where where you're where you are. So mm. that to me is unsustainable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's fast food. Right. Right. Even mm. McDonald's made their one-tenth of an ounce hamburger smaller. Smaller than one-tenth. Sorry, one-tenth of a pound. Right. One-tenth of a pound. Physically smaller. And the way that you can tell is they didn't make the buns physically smaller. And now the burger doesn't go to the edge of the bun. So you know that they've made it smaller. It's Tragic. It is. All right. We've been promising this last story, Greg. I think this is a cool picture. And by the way, that is there's no sponsorship from Dexterity AI. I just I really like the photograph and the story. So our fourth story is reported by our friends at Supply Chain Dive. Given all the workforce issues, companies, of course, they're going to find a way. And they continue to experiment with ways to automate. Here, FedEx is collaborating with a robotics company named Dexterity AI. The focus is on using AI-powered robots to load FedEx ground trailers and load them more efficiently, might I add. The testing process continues and is ongoing. No time frame was given as to deploying this particular solution. But one other interesting nugget, and y'all check out this read. I think we dropped a link in the chat because as we were just talking about, right, the data showed more investment in business. We'll check out this nugget from this article. According to the Association for Advancing Automation, Robot orders in North America were down in Q2 2023 after record-breaking purchases in 2021 and 2022. All right, so Greg, your thoughts here. Well, I mean, this is what Gene was talking about, right? Is I mean, think about how we're using AI. One of the points that they make in this article is about the dexterity of these robots where they can put very slight pressure, tough pressure on it like a human would to get things to fit just perfectly into a small slot so that they can build a flat wall of boxes as they work throughout the trailer. So this is a huge advance. It's a job nobody, honestly, no human could do. I mean, mm. having worked for a retailer, having seen how trucks are loaded, it's impossible, impossible to think about all the things that could impact it. I think of this as kind of like Tetris in reverse. You're trying to put mm. the blocks in the right way, right? Not take them out or, you know, not, well, yeah, it is Tetris. <laughs> anyway, um, sorry. I get, I'm, I'm always confused with Tetris and Jenga and all that stuff. Mm. But when you're loading a trailer, as we all know, you want the stuff that needs to come off first on the trailer last. 
right? You have to load balance the trailer. So let's say the first or the very last delivery is a bunch of heavy stuff. You still have to work around that because you can't have all of the weight over the axles, you know, all kinds of things like that. So AI can undertake all of these difficult challenges, these combinatorial analytics that humans simply can't do and do it unemotionally and without mistake. So I also believe, by the way, to Bob Bova's point, I think linear algorithms couldn't do a lot of this as well and have done a lot of this. But the AI aspect of it, of learning, analyzing like humans do, that's enough room for this box to fit into, right? And next time I'll know that, although sometimes we as humans forget that AI right. never forgets, right? So this is a good example of of the use of this for a job that humans simply have done, they have done for a long time, but simply can't do effectively enough. Mm. And probably don't want to do because right. anybody's loaded trailers on a loading dock. Guess where the hottest part of any warehouse is? A trailer mm. out in the sun on a loading dock, right? Or coldest, right? The worst weather is in a trailer that's being mm. loaded. Just put it down. Excellent point there. I have loaded planes in the Air Force, by the way. Wow. But I, which is a whole different thing than this. Talk about critical weight distribution and aircraft, mm. right? Well, I wish I could claim to have the smarts to figure all that stuff out. They said, put it here and put it there. And I put it here and put it there. Somebody figured it out, didn't they? Someone did. Yeah, Loadmasters. Yeah. Absolutely. Loadmasters are critical. And by the way, big shout out to Lloyd Knight, one of the coolest Loadmasters I know. What was I going to say? Oh, I've never loaded a truck. For some reason, Greg, what I have done way back as a kid is load hay in a barn. Oh, man. Now, of course, these are two different things. But folks, if you'd never lifted the hay bale and never loaded and stacked up hay, man, I think I slept for three days straight, Greg, after that with my Uncle Bill. Scott, we had a we had a round top barn and we stacked it all the way to the top. And you can only push a hay bale so far when you know there's only enough height for the right. hay bale to get through. So you have to get behind it. That's why barns are round top, by the way. <laughs> So you have to get behind it and pull it as far as you can. And then if you're usually the smallest, skinniest guy winds up doing that all the while, by, by the way, breathing in microscopic, hay, you know, um, oh, yeah, right. It's just gross. And it's hot as Hades in there. And then you have to crawl out around if it is not a job for somebody who does not like tight spaces. And then you kick the bale in against the last row. It is absolute utter torture. And I don't know what I did to my great uncle that made him make me be that guy other than be skinny. But <laughs> uh, I really thought he hated me. I thought he wanted me to die up there. Because it felt like it, didn't it? I mean, oh, it's tough work. Barns. Tough work. And, you know, look, we greatly respect all the folks out there loading trucks today. And, and there's been some outstanding leaders that have come up through the ranks. They started part-time basis loading trucks. But to Greg's point, and I definitely want to spike the football on this, I think inevitably you've got workforce dynamics, workforce preferences, and it's not necessarily opening up bigger and bigger pools to get that kind of work done. So this right. pilot and the initiative by FedEx is the future, no doubt as we look to automate and make more efficient the blocking and tackling that goes on across global supply chain. Well, we highly value going back, you know, of course, a human element. There's some outstanding things where humans do it best. But again, this frees up the human element to do more exciting, more valuable things. And less painful. Right. And yeah. That's a great point. Going back to the healthcare thing, that doing jobs that are less likely to get you hurt. 
right? Gina points out the food processing plants, pork, chicken, beef. Talk about some dangerous situations, you know, slicing up, you know, carving up, harvesting these animal products. Man, lots of people get hurt. Mm-hmm. And there's some automation that we've talked about, reported on here on the buzz that has uh, made big gains in that industry. Okay. So Greg, we're going to wrap, you know, we were buzzing right along and then we went down a bit of a rabbit hole. We blink and we're, it's almost one o'clock, but you know what I like about this show? What? We can do that. I hope, I hope folks are entertained by that or at least mm-hmm. informed, right? Or they're laughing at us like these idiots cannot stand <laughs> on top. Whatever, right. whatever, whatever it is, I hope it's valuable to folks out there. I do too. Okay. So Greg, we covered a lot of ground. We've invited folks to check us out in live programming the rest of the week. In fact, the whole month of October is jam-packed full. Yep. It's a cornucopia of supply chain leadership content. All right. So Greg, yeah. one thing, what's one thing that folks got to keep in mind from today's discussion, and then we're going to sign off and get going. I think adaptation is the most valuable of all human traits. We haven't found the boundaries of what technology can do yet. Don't live in the past. Don't defend it for personal reasons or for lack of a forward-looking point of view. Accept that change will occur. It has always occurred. And those that adapt with it thrive. And those that don't get extincted. So yeah, that's my thing is just we talk a lot about the human traits that technology can't replace. Mm. The ability to adapt as you talked about, the Tim Wakefield story is great. The mm. ability to, to adapt at that level is a uniquely human skill. Use it. That's right. That's such an excellent point. Way to finish. You know, machines don't say, hey, you know what? That scout says I can't hit baseballs at the major league level. So machines don't say I'm going to pick up a knuckleball. That is a uniquely human advantage. Folks, there's a great business analogy there. You know, Look for the opportunities. When one door shuts, there's all sorts of other opportunities, and especially in this technological environment. If you're open to it and you lean into the change and disruption, there's lots and lots of opportunities to where, you know, whatever the business version of getting your jersey, what do you think that would be, Greg? What's the business equivalent of getting your jersey retired by the Red Sox? I don't think there is an equivalent. I mean, right? I mean, even arguably the best leader of IBM got to write a book. And even Mm. then, people didn't really appreciate what he did. So um, (laughs) I don't think there is an equivalent, but. Just don't worry about your jersey getting hung up. Just worry about you getting hung out to dry. and makes it. Oh, man. Okay, that's good. We're going to have to leave it there, folks. And, of course, rest in peace to Tim Wakefield. I will forever remember, starting with the 92 NLCS between the Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates, we tracked him throughout 200 wins, 200 wins in that career. That is remarkable. Folks, hopefully you enjoyed today's session. Big thanks to Amanda and Catherine behind the scenes helping to make it happen. Big thanks to all of y'all that tuned out and brought your, not only a turkey sandwich, but brought your point of view and perspective. Love that. Greg, always a pleasure knocking out these shows with you. Likewise. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it. And thanks to all of you out there. I love, keep those comments coming. We may not agree, but we're always pointing the same direction. (laughs) Well said. Well said. All right, folks. Hopefully, you enjoyed today's show. Hopefully you're going to take a nugget of something that was discussed here today and put it into action. That's the name of the game. Deeds, not words. Lean on those new opportunities. And with all that said, Scott, on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you, do good, give forward, and be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.